Hey, I'm Pastor Joel, and I just want to say thank you for downloading or streaming this message today. My prayer for you is that you're blessed by the content that you hear. As a church, our desire is to make disciples of Jesus, and we do that by helping people to trust and follow Him in every aspect of their daily life. So if this is something that blesses you, we just hope that you'll feel free to share this with others so that they might be encouraged and challenged by it as well. Uh, but before we read from chapter 4, we're going to dive back in a little bit to Luke chapter 3. You heard it read from the stage just a little while ago. And, uh, and here's what we're doing as we walk through this teaching series in the Gospel of Luke. We are not going to have an opportunity to touch on every single chapter, every single verse. Uh, we have 16 weeks until Easter, which is where we're going to start wrapping up this series. And there are 24 chapters in the Gospel of Luke. So this is going to be more of an overview or a survey survey of the book of Luke rather than an in-depth dive into every chapter, every verse. So here's what I would encourage you to do. The things that we don't cover on Sunday morning, I would love for you to go back and read throughout the week. So this week, uh, chapter three and parts of chapter four that we don't touch on, I'd love for you to jump into that and see what the Spirit of God may say to you as you read that on your own and in your own time. Uh, but here's what we find in Luke chapter three, the beginning of John the Baptist's ministry. Luke is going to touch on that just a little bit and tell us some of the things that are going on around John the Baptist. And so we see John proclaim some things about uh, the Messiah that's coming, and, uh, and Luke tells us some things about what he's doing. He's baptizing people, and he's calling people to repentance. A lot of people are coming to him and saying, hey, what should we do to repent? And he gives them, hey, here's what I think you should do, and here's what God would require of us as we follow after him. And he calls them to a place of repentance so they can live in relationship with God. This is before Jesus goes to the cross, so it's not a repentance for salvation. It's a repentance to be in relationship with God through this baptism of repentance. And so Luke is calling people to that. But then as he does that, and as he lives out his public ministry, people start asking the question, well, is John the Messiah? Is this the one we've been waiting for? We just sang that song. This is the one we've been waiting for. Is John that one? Is he the Messiah, the one we've been waiting for? And John has to tell the crowds, listen, no, that's not who I am. I am one who's come to cry out a voice in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, get ready for the Messiah. There's one who's coming who's going to be greater than I am. John's going to say, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. That's how magnificent and glorious and mighty he is. And that's how not great I am. And so John takes this perspective that a Messiah is coming and I'm not him. And then Jesus shows up, and John actually says to the crowds, I want you to behold the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. And Jesus asks to be baptized by John. They kind of have this back and forth. I'm not worthy to do that for you. Jesus goes, it has to be done this way. I need you to baptize me. Uh, this is taken a little bit from different gospels. This is not all in Luke. But Jesus says it's right for you to do this to fulfill the things that God has required. And so John baptizes Jesus. The Bible says that Jesus comes out of the baptism waters and the Spirit of God leads Jesus into the wilderness where for a period of 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus fasts and he prays. We were talking about fasting and prayer this morning. Why do we do that as a church? Because Jesus modeled that. That's what Jesus did in his life. And he's called us to do those same things. So Jesus prays and fasts for 40 days and he's tempted by the devil in the wilderness during that period of time. 
Part of the reason we're not looking at Luke chapter 3 and doing a more in-depth thing is I just did a teaching series this past summer, at the end of the summer, on Luke chapter 3 and the three temptations. We called it the big three, temptations that we all face. So if you want to know more about that and what was going on in that, go back and check out that series. Love for you to catch up with us on that. But here's what we're going to be doing as we jump into chapter 4 this morning. We're going to pick up in verse 14, and I want to set it up for you this way. Uh, my family and I enjoy a TV show called Shark Tank. Any fans out there? You like Shark Tank? One person. Good. Uh, so we like this show. This will bomb with you because you don't know what it is. You've never watched it before. Uh, but basically, it's a group of investors who, much like I'm doing right now, you're sitting out there. They're looking at one person. A guy comes into the room who has a product or an idea or a business. They're an entrepreneur. And their objective is, I want to pitch what I have to you as investors in the hopes that one or more of you will say, that's a really good idea. I want to fund you your work. I'm going to help give you money to do what you're doing and take this to the next level. And the hope for every entrepreneur who stands on that stage in front of the sharks is that their product will become, will go on to make millions and millions and millions of dollars, right? That's their goal. But the big part of the whole thing is the pitch. They walk into the room and they've got like three minutes to say, here's what you need to know about my product. Here's what you need to know about my business. I'm going to pitch this. And they usually do it in a way that's really attractive. It's really enticing. It's, it's upbeat. It's fun. It shows what the product does. It's all about let me show you what this is so you make a quick decision on whether or not you want to invest with me. Now, as we turn to this idea of what Jesus does this morning, I want you to know Jesus is not on Shark Tank, and he's not trying to pitch himself as the Messiah. That's not what this is about. Uh, but he does know what it looks like to walk into a room, in this case in the synagogue, and to grab the attention of his audience and to bring them to a point in a place where they have to decide for themselves, do I buy into this guy or not? And so that's what we're going to find this morning as Jesus jumps in to Luke chapter 4, verses 14 through 21. So start there with me, and then we'll go on through some of the rest of the chapter. But here's what happens. Remember, Jesus has been in the wilderness in the power of the Spirit. He's gone through his 40 days of prayer and fasting, and then verse 14 picks right back up. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now, Jesus has been going from town to town, speaking in the local synagogues. He's experienced goodwill from the people. His teaching is being received well. And John tells us, or Luke tells us, excuse me, that, uh, that Jesus makes this rhythm and pattern of his life on the Sabbath to go to the synagogues. And he teaches. 
and he's getting good responses from people as they're listening to him. He's even already healed some people. We find that in a different gospel, that in Jesus' very early ministry in uh, Capernaum, he's already healed someone, and the people are starting to, to give recognition to Jesus. His name is starting to get out there, that people are hearing about him in this region of Galilee. And then it says that Jesus went on a Sabbath to Nazareth. This is his hometown. This is where Jesus grew up. And it says that as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath. Now, I want to stop there for just a second. This isn't in my notes, but I felt a little bit compelled to think about this this morning uh, as we think about the start of a new year. And many people make resolutions in the new year. Maybe you're going to lose weight, get back in the gym, pick up a, a, you know, a, a skill, whatever it is. But a lot of people also, as a part of their New Year's resolutions, will say, man, I really need to get back into church. That's a, that's a place that I want to be. It's something I want to do. And, and so part of our resolution, and, and I know we're already sitting here with some people in the room, some people watching from home. And so I want to just say that if you are someone who is not in church right now, we would encourage you, and I'm going to look into the camera and talk to you at home specifically, to come and be with us. Uh, this is a pattern of what Jesus does in his life. This is part of the, the rhythm or the custom of Jesus's life. And I know that we still have a virus that's out there in the world. And so I want to touch on this just for a second, that I would say if you're someone who has uh, pre-existing conditions, your age is a factor, you have some health concerns already, that being around crowds is scary to you, we completely understand. I want to talk more to the people just for one second about this. If you're someone who is going through everything else in life the normal way that you probably were pretty much before COVID hit and before all these things, except you got out of the rhythm and the routine of going to church, then I would encourage you to make 2022 the year that you say, man, I want to get back involved. This is part of the nature and the rhythm and the cycle of Jesus's life, and it needs to be part of our cycle in life as well. We're a people who are built for relationship. We're a people who are built for corporate worship. We can have our individual worship, but we've really gained so much from being in the room with one another. We gain so much from experiencing life together. And so I want to encourage you with that, if at all possible, that you say this is the year that we're going to find our way back into fellowship, back into church. So Jesus is in the synagogue. He's going to preach. And then it says that they hand him a scroll and it's the scroll of Isaiah. Now, presumably Jesus could open to any part of this scroll and read from it and then sit down to teach from whatever he reads. But Jesus intentionally finds one place in the scroll of Isaiah. And he reads from what we know as Isaiah chapter 61. There weren't chapters and verses in the day that Jesus is reading from the scroll. It was just written out. But we know it as Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 and 2. And here's what Jesus read. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And he sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, Jesus reads this passage for two reasons. Number one, it's basically his vision statement for his ministry and why he's come. Now, I've always kind of said this short part of Jesus's vision statement was that the son of man has come to seek and to save the lost right? Like that's in a nutshell what Jesus has come to do. But when he reads from prophecy and he pulls out Isaiah 61, this is his vision statement for ministry. It's why he's come. Then the second thing is this section has both spiritual and social components to it. 
that Jesus says, I want you to know that everyone who's listening to the sound of my voice, these things are true about you in a social realm and in a spiritual realm. And he lists off the things that sin does in our life. Because sin brings four things to us primarily, and Isaiah nails it down here. Sin brings poverty, sin brings bondage, sin brings blindness, and sin brings oppression. And those things, again, are true on a social level and a spiritual level. And so when Jesus talks about these things, he knows that this is universally true. It doesn't matter where in the world you go, you're going to find these things to be true. And so the four things here that he points out, poverty exists everywhere. Poverty happens from a social standpoint as well as a spiritual poverty that marks a huge section of our world. But one of the problems is, is that people can identify and recognize when they're financially impoverished, but we have a much more difficult time realizing and recognizing when we're spiritually impoverished. Many people don't get or find in themselves a spiritual impoverishment. And yet Jesus has come to tell us that sin impoverishes us spiritually, that it steals from us, that we are bankrupt on a spiritual level without a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. The second thing that we find is that because of sin, people are in bondage. And we're in bondage physically in all sorts of different things. Slavery still exists in our world, whether it's human trafficking or people being used for, for child slavery in impoverished countries. There are all kinds of different ways that people are in bondage physically. But people are also in bondage through addiction to drugs and alcohol and pornography and gambling and all kinds of other vices. But we're spiritually in bondage. And spiritual bondage always brings physical bondage. And when we don't have a relationship with God that sets us free, we're going to find ourselves in bondage to these other things that seem like they show us freedom, but really they rob from us and they steal from us. And so Jesus is trying to point these things out that we need to pursue the glory of God because sin will hold us captive and try to steal the glory of God from our lives so that we won't pursue him. Then here's the third thing. When we find how sin causes blindness. Because of sin's effect on our world, because sin physically creates difficulties in our world, some people have physical blindness. And Jesus has come to free a lot of people from that. We see it in scripture multiple times that Jesus heals people of their blindness. But there's also a spiritual component to this, where again, we're spiritually blind. We have something over our, our spiritual eyes that doesn't allow us to see that we are people in great need of a Savior. But Jesus came to open our eyes. He came full of grace and truth in order to combat the things that rob us and that blind us spiritually. That he wants to speak truth to us. That he wants to show us grace from his Father so that we understand who he is and how to follow him to receive our physical and our spiritual sight. And then finally, we have to understand that sin leads us to oppression. And here's what sin will do. Sin will lie to you. And sin will tell you that pursuing the things that you want to do is natural and good, even if it really puts you in a place of bondage. Sin will always lead us down a path that no matter what it does, the reality is that it doesn't give us more freedom. It oppresses us and it holds us captive. Sin becomes a master to us that promises us greater freedom, 
but really puts us in a place of greater captivity. And so we have to have a realization of those things and understand that those things are taking place. Sin wants to destroy you while making it think it wants what's best for you. That's always going to be true everywhere you go in the world. And so here's what Jesus really would tell us. I think if we could write this down in one simple phrase, it would be this, that sin always disguises itself as freedom, but results in greater bondage. Sin is always going to disguise itself as freedom, but it's going to result in greater bondage. And you can watch people that you know and love who have embraced sinful ways and sinful ideas and sinful pursuits, and they always start out thinking, man, I've got so much freedom. Look what I can do. There's no God to tell me what to do. There's no pastor that can tell me what to do. My parents can't tell me what to do. I've got this great freedom, and I'm just going to be going for it and doing whatever I want to do. And sin is so attractive and so freeing until you get to the consequences of sin which lock you in chains and put you in bondage. And so Jesus has come to remove us of those things. And when Jesus reads from the scroll of Isaiah, this is a messianic prophecy. The prophet Isaiah has told these things for hundreds of years. The people have known these things for hundreds of years, and they've known that this is pointing to and talking about the Messiah. And so when Jesus read this, his audience would have been going, yes, we agree with that. We believe in that, and we're waiting for God to reveal who the Messiah is going to be. We can't wait for God to come and set us free from the oppression that exists. And by the way, they would have looked at that through the lens of Rome. And they would have gone, we are people under captivity. We are people who are oppressed. And it's Rome who's doing it to us. And so here I want you to see what Jesus says. Verses 20 and 21. He rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And so here's what I want you to get. Jesus reads from the scroll. He says, today this is fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, I want you all to know that this messianic prophecy is fulfilled today, right here, right now. And for Westerners, as we read this, if you were just to be reading through Luke's gospel, you might go, today this is fulfilled in your hearing. Okay, great. We don't quite get the significance of what Jesus is saying, but his Jewish audience would have immediately gotten the significance of it. Jesus doesn't come out and say, hey guys, I'm the Messiah, but he says, hey guys, I'm the Messiah. Do you get it? He's not going to come out and just go, I want you guys to know I'm here, I'm the Messiah, God sent me, but he says all of these things that Isaiah says about the Messiah, this is fulfilled today, right here, right now. And I want you to see the response of the crowd as Jesus says this. It says, all spoke well of him. His gracious words that came from his lips. And then a question was asked, isn't this Joseph's son? Like, I love this because in the way Luke's kind of writing this, the people heard Jesus speak, they were amazed, and then something happens where they kind of go, hey, well, hang on just one second, though. Like, that's incredible what he's saying, but don't we know him? Isn't this the guy that grew up here? Isn't he Joseph's son? Isn't that the guy who would come to my house with his dad and build furniture for our family? Like, the Twitter trolls kind of come out with Jesus in this moment. 
And they get to this point where, and we see this happen in our culture all the time. Somebody's revered, respected, they're looked up on, they're a celebrity, they're an athlete, they're a politician, whatever. They gain the favor of the people, maybe not politicians, but other people, they gain the celebrity, they gain the fame, people are behind them and all these kinds of things. And then they make one bad statement in a press conference. They get caught in one picture that shows something that we don't agree with or like, and then all of a sudden what happens? Everybody comes out and has something negative to say, and we turn on them super fast, right? That's basically what happens here. Jesus goes, this stuff that Isaiah wrote about is being fulfilled in your midst at this time. And the people go, wow, that's incredible. Hang on one second, though. (laughs) That's Joseph's kid. That's Mary's son. We know him. We watched him grow up. Who is he to think he's something special? He's like one of us. He's from right here in this little podunk town. He's nobody special or significant. Shouldn't the Messiah be somebody of great value and worth and come with power and authority? But like, we know this guy. And they start to turn on him. And Jesus knows what's going on. And so he continues on in verses 23 through 27. It says, Jesus said to them, surely you'll quote this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. In other words, do something incredible and show us how powerful you are. And you'll tell me, do here in your hometown what we've heard that you did in Capernaum. Again, he's already healed someone in Capernaum. So they go, give us proof. Show us how powerful you are. Heal somebody here. Do do your tricks. Perform your little deal. Right? And he goes, that's what you're going to want. But he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy at the time of Elisha, the prophet. Yet none of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. And so Jesus goes, guys, listen, I want you to know a prophet isn't welcome in his own hometown. He's not received. He's not revered there. Because you've seen my life, you're not going to respect what I'm going to do. And this is just like how Elijah and Elisha were in their days. Elijah and Elisha were revered prophets. Elijah was given the power by God to not make it rain on the earth for three and a half years. And during that period of time, all of the people around him in Israel were hurting and going through difficult famine situation. But he says, but Elijah wasn't sent to his neighbors in Israel. He went to a widow in a foreign country, a Gentile, and God blessed her through Elijah. And Elisha was the same way. Elisha had people who were all around him who were leprous and he could have healed them, but that's not what happened. The story of Elisha, a guy named Naaman comes to him And he's a general in a foreign army who's an enemy of Israel. And yet he comes and Elisha helps him be cleansed of his leprosy. The story's in 1 Kings 17 and 2 Kings 16, I think, if I'm remembering off the top of my head. He goes, these are the situations, and I want you to know what this is about. When these men were prophets in Israel, there was no faith in Israel. And God used them to show that when there's no faith in Israel, I'll go to the Gentiles. And I'll bring my glory and my goodness to them. And when Jesus says that, 
It's fascinating to watch the crowd's response. There is an immediate visceral reaction and a change that takes place that's fascinating to see. They go from verse 22 to verse 28 and have a complete meltdown. Look at verses 28 through 30. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, they drove him out of town, they took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and he went on his way. In other words, the crowd went, hold on, we do not want to hear a message that the glory of God is for the Gentiles the same way that it's for us. This stuff you're talking about with Elisha and Elijah going to Gentiles, we don't want to hear about that. The kingdom of God is for us. The Messiah is for us. And they go from being accepting of Jesus' message to turning on him and wanting to kill him. So let me ask us the question this morning. Do we ever find ourselves in a place where we go back and forth on wanting to follow Jesus and wanting to kill him? Where we'll go, Jesus, I'll be with you as long as you're doing what I want for me and for my family and for my loved ones. But the minute you don't answer those prayers, the minute you do something I don't like, the minute you take authority from me because you're God and I'm not and you think you should have authority and I shouldn't, I'm going to rebel against that in a heartbeat. How often do we go from I want to follow Jesus to I don't want to have anything to do with him? It's a quick transition and we have to be guarded against that. But here's what the people didn't understand and what Jesus was trying to get across to them. God's grace is for everyone. No one's excluded. And I wonder if we have that same mentality, that the grace of God is for everyone, for liars and thieves and murderers and prostitutes and homosexuals and offenders and people who are prideful and people who are arrogant and black people and white people, and Asian people, and Middle Eastern people, and Democrats, and Republicans. The grace of God is for everyone. And the moment that we put a dividing line and say, no, this is just for me and just for those who are like me, and I don't want to have anything to do with the gospel going to those people, we miss the mission of Jesus. And our call as disciples of Jesus is to follow him, to know him, to be changed by him, and to be on mission with him. And if we're not on this mission with him where we're taking what Isaiah said and we're proclaiming good news to the poor, proclaiming freedom for prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, setting the oppressed free, proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor, then we're missing it. And so we need in this moment to really see and understand that because we are loved by God, we're meant to be like God in his love. That because we're loved by God, we're meant to take his love to the world. And so what we find in our relationship with Jesus and for everyone who follows Jesus, here's what we're supposed to do. Extend his grace to everyone around you. Love perpetuates love. Grace perpetuates grace. If you've been loved by God, you're meant to show love from God. If you've experienced grace from God, you're meant to demonstrate grace to other people from God. That's our calling. That's what we're supposed to be about. 
Thanks so much for checking out our message today. We hope you are challenged and blessed by it. We want to invite you to come and worship with us in person if you live in the Tri-Cities area. We meet on Sunday mornings at 9 and 10.45 a.m. at One Fellowship Point in Kingsport, Tennessee. You can also get more information about us from our website or our mobile app. Have a great day.